Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 170 for the 21st of October, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and this week I have two guests. Uh, I have last week's guest host, John Shire, and I also have my friend and colleague, Paul Ducklin, with us. Uh, welcome, guys. Thank you, Chester. It's uh, good to actually be in the same room as you for once, and uh, I find this is a nice way to segue back to you as hosting the podcast. Yes, you guys are both in John's hometown, aren't you? We are. We're, we're very nearby. We're in beautiful downtown Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I hear you've got a, a poodle, Duck. Uh, what, what is this about the new poodle? Ah, the poodle, yes. It's the, the fancy-named bug that almost immediately followed sandworm, which is what John and I spoke about last week. I guess the simplest way of explaining poodle is it's a trick that someone else on your network can use that when you make an HTTPS or a secure connection, he injects some errors. And very loosely speaking, what happens is each end decides that the other really isn't up to this modern day cryptography. And if you're unlucky, falls back to SSL3, which actually predates Windows XP, and that can be cracked. So the crook can then start chiseling individual characters one at a time out of your session. And if he can do that, then, of course, he may be able to get authentication cookies, and that means he can fire sheep you. So, Paul, one of the things that immediately came to mind when uh, I started reading a little bit about this is, like, how practical is this, is this exploit? Yeah, that, you know, it's not like Heartbleed, where you send a packet at the server and it gives you back something and you may or may not get lucky. You do need to be on the same network. You need to be able to inject packets. Both ends have to fail back to SSL3. Right, and my understanding is, Duck, it allows the recovery of uh, one byte at a time. This this comes back to, you said this comes back to falling back to an older standard, right? So backward compatibility is sort of kind of the issue here. Absolutely. Best defense, don't use SSL3 anymore. So for the folks listening at home, Paul, uh, is this the kind of thing that you should really worry about on your home network, or is this more the type of thing you want to worry about if you're sitting in a coffee shop or at an airport? I'd say more about the coffee shop and airport sort of worry, because that's where you're most likely to meet someone else on the network who has your worst interests at heart. Of course, a crook who wants to nobble you at a coffee shop doesn't have to be sitting next to you in the coffee shop. They could have compromised the router being used by that network, and they could actually be driving this attack from afar if they really wanted. So it turns out Apple was the first vendor to get uh, their poodle fixed. What's the current status for Apple users? Of course, we've got uh, everything from desktops to mobiles, so there, there's, a, there's a, quite a bit of, uh, I guess, threat surface, you might call it. Yes, it was quite intriguing. When I wrote this up for Naked Security, I did uh, a little article that said what you could do in your browser to make the problem go away. So there's an option, for example, in IE, there's a menu option. Don't use SSL3. You can turn it off, problem gone. Uh, something similar in Firefox and a command line option that does it in Chrome. I couldn't find a way to do it in Safari, and I don't think there is one. Uh, in fact, it's not part of Safari. It's part of the uh, so-called secure transport library that Apple provides that does their secure connectivity. Uh, you may remember that name because it's the code part that had the go-to-fail bug in it. But, bless their hearts, they were the first to patch because they've done a patch for OS X and almost immediately afterwards for iOS. So iOS 8 is already at 8.1. And this SSL3, that the poodle problem, has been essentially neutralized by that fix. 
Now, in uh, thoughts coming to the upcoming season of holidays uh, at the end of the, the calendar year, uh, there was a, was a survey in the United States this week by CreditCards.com talking about consumer confidence uh, at organizations that had major credit card data breaches this year. There's been a long-standing debate in the security community about whether these things really influence consumer behavior, right? We, we've talked about Sony when they were attacked by LulzSec years ago and how that didn't seem to have much impact on subscribers to their PlayStation network. You know, there's been a lot of uh, examples of uh, organizations having pretty big press things, but nothing bad seemingly coming of it. The CreditCards.com survey suggests that a decent chunk of consumers may not be shopping at these institutions that had big breaches this year out of concern for their credit. Uh, I, I found actually, John, your reaction quite interesting and in that you, you seem to think that perhaps you would shop there more now. Uh, maybe you could share your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's it's one of these things that, uh, you know, whenever a breach like this happens or, or, you know, a major breach in security or protocol happens, the first knee-jerk reaction by the agencies involved or the companies involved is to really batten down the hatches and tighten the security. So I, I kind of facetiously said it, but I think I do, I do believe somewhat in the fact that, uh, in a sense, there's, you know, a great time to shop at these places because now they actually have their eyes on the ball. So, I mean, my, my concern is that by shopping at these uh, organizations, you're sort of rewarding the bad behavior. And it, it's turned out that with many of them, the accusations at least seem to suggest that, you know, there was some negligence involved, processes weren't followed, and we think that notifying people perhaps a few months after we found out about a breach might be appropriate behavior. You know, I, I'm not sure that uh, from a, uh, a financial reward standpoint, whether they're safe or not, that I would want to necessarily spend my money at organizations who didn't take my security seriously until after the fact uh, of, a, of a major incident like that. Particularly if they then sent you an apology saying, your security is really important to us, so important we lost all your data then, uh, you know, why would I accept or believe that they were now suddenly the best in the West at doing it? But if we look back at the discussion we had last week, Paul, about breach fatigue and how we did mention that, uh, you know, some of these breaches now are not really having any tangible impact on stock price. I think if we see this trend through and the consumers are actually stopping their interaction with these merchants, um, that could definitely have a knock-on effect onto the stock price. And I think the companies are really going to start feeling it. Yeah, and I think from my perspective, the PCI is another you know example of this, uh, that, that PCI is meant to have these fines to encourage good behavior, et cetera, et cetera. And if merchants realize that even if it's 10% of consumers, which is less than the number in this survey saying they wouldn't shop there anymore, uh, losing 10% of your revenue, that's a pretty big deal for an organization, right? Maybe it affects stock price, like you're saying, John. But either way, 10% is probably more than any fine, any regulatory penalty, et cetera, et cetera. So if companies are afraid of PCI, they sure as heck should be afraid of losing the reputation with the public and that many customers. While Kmart and uh, all these other organizations are negotiating with credit card companies at reissuing credit cards to people who had their financial data breached, uh, it looks like the South Korean government is considering reissuing IDs in general. Uh, apparently, there's been so much identity theft uh, through breaches in South Korea that they're nearly scrapping their entire national ID system. I, I mean, this is unprecedented, is it not? It sort of seems like a good idea, doesn't it? You wipe the slate clean and you start again so any crook who's stolen an old ID number can't do anything with it. But as commenters on Naked Security have pointed out, 
presumably you're still going to have to be able to use that old number for a while until it's purged from everybody's systems. So it does seem as though things might actually get worse before they get better. Because now you've got the old number that you know was ripped off that will still be accepted under some circumstances or are still in a whole lot of records and transactions about you. And this new number that you have to worry about, what if that gets stolen as well? And this time, we actually are going to take your privacy very seriously, and we're not going to lose it. I suppose what might come out of this is South Korea, as far as I'm aware, like various other countries, designed their ID numbers in the 60s when it seemed like a great idea to, have, to make them easy to remember. So they actually start with your birthday. What a silly idea is that? So maybe at least if they reissue the numbers, they can devise them in a way that makes them a little less obvious so that even if they identify you, they don't give away a whole load of other information about you at the same time free of charge. The good news is uh, the United Kingdom is having Get Safe Online Week, which of course coincides very closely with the National Cybersecurity Awareness Month celebrated in the United States, Canada, and many other countries in the world. We, we want to uh, make note of that and, of course, uh, be sure our, our UK listeners uh, are taking advantage of the informational materials being supplied, but also, hopefully, just like uh, their colleagues around the world, are, are spending some time with their family, friends, and colleagues, helping share their knowledge of security and privacy and all those types of things. And this also led to uh, a story about advanced fee fraud and some bad guys getting nipped. Yes, uh, one of the Chester, one of the resources on that Get Safe Online Week website, um, we've put links on Naked Security if you want to find it. It's not just for people in the UK, although it's done by the, the, the UK Public Service. Uh, they've got a special page dedicated to safe online dating. So it was a, 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 a positive coincidence, if you like, that just recently four chaps who organize these romance scams where they find people on dating sites and milk them of money under false pretenses, um, actually got convicted and uh, the henchmen got eight years. Uh, and uh, four of them were charged with offenses relating to fraud and money laundering. So often the victim gets the blame. We even see this on Naked Security with commenters saying, you know, when you look at this, it's so obvious they should have realised, you know, it's the victim's fault. Didn't they notice that this guy was selling them a pack of lies? And the answer is no, they didn't, because they were looking for somebody they thought they could trust and they kind of wanted to believe that they'd found that person. And I guess if we were to combat the notion that uh, people should know better, this has been around for quite a while. so. If it's been working for, you know, the last 500 years, it's probably not going to stop anytime soon. The first reference I can find is the 16th century, the, uh, the so-called Spanish prisoner scam. If you want to go looking that up online. Unfortunately, it's just become a lot easier these days because of things like mobile telephones, instant messaging, VoIP and email. And of course, dating sites mean that, you know, if you're a crook, the victims are kind of making themselves known to you. You barely have to go looking. Well, I guess, you know, uh, this does bring us back to the, you know, remembering not to blame victims. And anybody can accidentally open an attachment. And it's not that difficult to be tricked by people over instant message systems as to their origin or their intents. And maybe even going back to earlier in the podcast about uh, credit card breaches and all this. I mean, we have to remember that Target and Michaels and uh, Kmart and all these organizations technically are victims as well. Uh, they were targeted by criminals and 
We don't know the circumstances that led to their compromise, but we can assume that if you've got a dedicated uh, attacker coming after you, whether that's in the physical realm, whether it's advanced fee fraud, or whether it's being a retailer, people coming after your credit cards, you've got to stay vigilant, and occasionally you're going to make a mistake. And when you do, you may become a victim, and, and we have to stand with the victims. Yes, and if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Unless you're talking about the fantastic free content at nakedsecurity.sophos.com, which is where you can find all of the latest security news. Of course, the podcast is available on iTunes via the TuneIn app or over on the RSS at soundcloud.com slash sophosecurity. I'd like to thank both Paul and John for being on the podcast this week. And until next time, stay secure.